Well, God bless you. Welcome to the wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are in Matthew 27, and also we're in Luke 23, and we are also in Mark 15. We're going to be talking about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is where we've come and are coming. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the scriptures that talk about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, who is the Son of God. And so this culminates the entire purpose and the reason why Jesus came to earth in the first place. He came to fulfill and to do the Father's will. Uh, he's going to be made the ransom for many. Uh, it's going to be a supreme sacrifice. Uh, Jesus, the supreme sacrifice for the sins of man. And this sacrifice will purchase and, and buy back man's redemption. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so this is God's ultimate love song, even though it's a tragedy, a tragedy of huge proportion. But it is also a story of the limitless love of God, the extent and the extreme that God was willing to give to buy us back from sin, separation and eternal judgment. Absolutely. God is determined, was determined and is determined to redeem creation. And he's just as determined to destroy sin. And he will both redeem man and he will destroy sin. And he's going to do it through this sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want you to think about as we study today, I want you to think about the limitless love of God the very extreme of what God was willing to do to buy us back from sin. Amen, praise God. That he's not going to leave us separated from his eternal glory, but he is going to, through Christ, through faith in Christ, separate us from eternal judgment. Amen, praise God. So there is eternity in what we're going to study today. And if sinful men, if they could just see the lengths that God was willing to display and to reveal his love for them. I think that everyone who had his uh, blinded eyes open, I think they would beat their breast and say, Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me, for I am a sinful man. Praise God. There's something about the love of God that changes hearts. It's a powerful thing. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, if within the sound of my voice, somebody that hasn't made Jesus Christ Savior and Lord, I, I, I pray that that love will so permeate that person that it will change him forever. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you. Now, Lord, we desire this study today to be worthy of the name of Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you, make it so. And we give you all the praise and honor and glory, Father, in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, we're going to begin by Judas killing himself. This is found in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. This is the only gospel record we have. We're talking about in the, in the four gospels that we have of Judas killing himself. It's beginning in verse 1, Matthew 27, verse 1. Now, when morning had come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him up to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. Notice that. He felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Verse 4, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, 
What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood. And they counseled together with the money, bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers or for foreigners, Gentiles, you could say. For this reason, that field is called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, I want to draw your attention to two things. Number one, uh, Judas felt remorse. Whatever his plan was in his mind, whatever he had purposed in his heart, uh, did not come to pass. And so he felt remorse. But that's not repentance. Feeling remorse is not repentance. Repentance is making a change. And But the problem is Judas had crossed the line. What he did or caused to be done could not be undone. He set wheels in motion that could not be returned. Even though he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he acknowledged that, but he couldn't change it. Amen. Judas, let's make sure that we understand this. Judas was not saved even though he repented, even though he felt remorse. His plan had failed. He set in motion things that could not be reversed. He was that which Jesus himself called the son of perdition. And also he hanged himself. In other words, he killed himself. He murdered himself. And of course, we know from John's writings that no murderer has any part in the kingdom of God. And also, we need to understand that Jesus, once again, Jesus called Judas the son of perdition. And there's only one other being. There's only one other person in the entire New Testament called the son of perdition. And that other person is the Antichrist. And Jesus said this, none of them, talking about his disciples, none of them is lost except the son of perdition. And the word lost comes from the Greek word apollomy, and it means to be lost eternally. It means to suffer eternal damnation. So whenever you're watching a, uh, a movie of the life of Jesus and Judas is, is portrayed as an innocent victim, don't believe it. He was not. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had a plan. He had allowed Satan to possess him with a plan. And once that plan was set in motion and could not be reversed, it was then he tried to change it, but it's too late. There are many people, many, some maybe within the sound of my voice on this uh, broadcast, uh, you step over the line, you're not going to get back. There is a place of repentance, but there's also a place you can go too far where you can't repent. Think about Jacob and Esau. Esau tried to win back that which he gave away, and it was too late. He couldn't do it. Circumstances in life cannot be reversed. And, of course, Judas ended it all by killing himself. So let's understand right now, Judas was 
called the son of perdition, and he was lost. And that should remind us today, amen, to continually humble ourselves and to continually acknowledge the fact that uh, we can't find our own way. There's only one way, and that's the Jesus way. And the Jesus way is the word way. Praise God. Amen. All right, so now we see Jesus before Pilate and also before Herod. This is in Luke 23, verses 1 through 12. Then the whole body of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him. Notice that Jesus answered him and said, It is as you say. Or in other words, I am. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. But when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Now, we have to keep in mind here that, that, that what the gospel writers are depicting, uh, the men that are in charge now of Jesus, none of them are saved. They're all pagans. Amen. Or they're evil men. Now, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. Notice that Jesus refused to answer Herod's inquiries. And you're going to find that the only time Jesus would not answer a question that was posed to him was during his trial. And, and during the, the time when he was turned over to the tormentors. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been at enmity with each other. So this would have been Friday morning. The members of the Sanhedrin now, they're conspiring. Their, their plan is beginning to unfold. Uh, they wanted to make sure that their evil purpose was a success. Amen. This was their hour. See, Jesus had turned his life over to them. This was their hour, and they wanted to make sure that it was a success, that that which they had in their heart to do to Jesus would come to pass. And so they also knew that they'd have to frame an accusation that would resonate with Pilate. Just, you know, to this point, uh, Pilate is not recognizing Jesus as a threat. So uh, if they don't come up with a plan, if they don't have a plan in their mind, he's going to dismiss their accusations. But we know from the, reading the story over and over and over again that the Jews' plan succeeded that Jesus has already given himself over to them and that shortly he is going to become the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's going to fulfill that which John the Baptist spake of him. Okay, so now uh, Jesus has returned to Pilate again 
And so this uh, narrative continues. This is in Luke 23, verse 13. And so again, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. Now, uh, Luke records this. Now, he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. And so from Mark's narrative in chapter 15, verse 7, we read on. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with them, who had committed murder in the insurrection. So here are murderers. Wanting, wanting a murderer to be released and Jesus to be condemned. See how crooked evil is? See how crooked and twisted wickedness is? There's a lot of that going on in our land today, isn't it? A twisted wickedness. See, that's the devil. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him, Pilate, to do as he had done to them. In other words, they wanted Pilate to agree to release a prisoner during this special feast time. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. See, wicked leaders can do nothing unless they have useful idiots that are willing to follow them. Just go ahead and blindly obey. Do whatever anybody tells you to do, even though you know in your heart it's wrong. See, there are people, lawful people doing things today because even though they know it's wrong, they're doing it because their leader tells them to do it. And that's wrong, folks. If you're doing things that are wrong, you know that they're wrong. And you're doing them because people who are your leaders, your superiors, are telling you to do them. You are just as wrong as they are. You are an accessory to the fact. You're an accessory to the evil. You do not have to obey an unlawful order. Well, if I, if I don't, I'll get fired. Well, then you'll find another job. Amen. If you do what's right, God will watch out for you. Amen. You watch your character. God will take care of your reputation, but you've got to do it in faith. But the chief priest, verse 11 again, moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, what will you then that I shall do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, why, what evil has he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. See, even though Pilate, Pilate washed his hands, he was just as guilty. That's horrible leadership, doing something to content the people or to content the people, even though you know it's wrong. 
sending, sending an innocent man to death to content the people. That's wrong. What we need today are leaders that have the backbone of a crowbar that do what's right because it's right. And we don't have that in this country today. What we have, as far as our leaders are concerned, are cowards. Don't be a coward. Stand up for what's right. Yeah, but it's going to cost me. It, yes, it will cost you to do what's right, but do what's right. Honor God. Amen. Honor, amen, those who have gone on before us. Honor them. We enjoy the fruits of our nation today. We enjoy the fruits of our labor today. Why? Why are we so blessed and other nations are so cursed? The reason why is we're enjoying the fruits of those who labored before us. And I want to ask you a question today. What labor are our children and grandchildren going to be eating the fruit thereof if we don't stand up and do what's right? Who are the, who is going to teach our children and grandchildren? Better think about that. We have to make a stand for righteousness today. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. I mean, this is such a stark contrast between Jesus, the one who was willing to make peace through the blood of his cross, and those who desire incited to murder him. See, that just reveals to us the evil nature that is in man and why it's so important for that nature, amen, to be washed away in the blood of Jesus. Praise God. And that's what Jesus is getting ready to do. All right, Mark, uh, cha uh, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16. This is where Jesus is mocked and abused by the Roman soldiers. Now, he's already been marked, mocked and, uh, and brutalized by the, uh, the soldiers of Herod. And now this is happening again. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him, bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So in this process here, Jesus is scourged. All right, now Jesus is crucified. This is found in Mark chapter 15, Mark's gospel, uh, beginning in verse 21. And they compel one Simon or Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they brought him unto the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him the drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he did not receive it. And when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written, the king of the Jews. With him, they crucified two thieves, the one on his right and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. 
And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Oh, you that destroyed the temple, build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Now, that's a very important scripture, verse 30. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. See, that's all mockery. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe it for a moment. They're mocking Jesus. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now that's noon, noon hour. Jesus was placed on the cross at 9 a.m. our time. Amen. The sixth hour now coming to it, coming very close to it. And at the ninth hour, now the sixth hour would have been from sunrise. That would have been noon. And at the ninth hour, this would be 3 p.m. our time. Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, there's a separation here. Jesus is being made sin for us who knew no sin. For what purpose? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So that nature of sin you know, that is in us would be paralyzed and destroyed. That we would no longer, through the new birth, you know, have to serve sin. We can be servants of righteousness. And some of them, this is verse 35, that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calls Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let alone, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Now, from John's gospel, uh, chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. A Gentile recognized that. But those in whom Christ sent to save couldn't. And there were also women looking afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less and Joseph and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. And many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now, we don't know who Simon was, but the tradition says that he later became a follower of Jesus. And also we know that Jesus was nailed to the cross at fr on Friday morning at 9 a.m., that he was crucified between two thieves, that he was subjected to humiliation and contempt. And Paul, in writing to the Hebrews, says that uh, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Amen. And we cannot overstate the agony of the cross. We understand that every fiber of Jesus' body was screaming out in pain and agony. Every fiber, every cell, every nerve. Jesus suffered an agonizing death. Now at noon, it began to grow dark. The bulls of Bashan had surrounded him now. Psalm 22 
His hands and feet were pierced. Darkness now began to cover not only the landscape, but began to cover him. See, there was the battle going on. Amen. And you can see that battle in Psalm 22 and Psalm 118 and other places. Isaiah 53, 10, it was God's will to crush him. Amen. Jesus was taking what you and I deserve. His soul was being made an offering for sin. So at 3 p.m., the very hour of the evening sacrifice, when the sacrificial lamb is being offered upon the altar of God, Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with a loud shout, he said, it is finished. And he gives his spirit up and commends himself to God. And now Jesus is buried, verse 42. And now when the evening was come, because it was the preparation, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead and calling unto him the centurion asked him whether he was actually dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Now, it's a sad, it's sad fact that Joseph was a man of God. He was waiting for the kingdom, but he couldn't do a thing to help Jesus. The only thing he was capable of doing was to provide a place for Jesus to be buried. So he quickly claimed the body of Jesus. And I want to say this, that, uh, see, many men and many women were powerless to do anything to save Jesus. And they wouldn't have been able to. Even if they had, even if they could, they would not have been able to. This was... Jesus' time to be made sin for us. And it was also man's darkest hour. It was the innocent Son of God crucified in place of sinners, crucified in the place of you and me. You know, and oftentimes we view the crucifixion with lightness, you know, not reminding ourselves of the totality of the misery and the suffering and the torture our Lord endured in order to bring us to a place of peace with God. But now what if Jesus had said enough? What if he was unwilling to endure the suffering on the cross? What if he said no? What if he had called forth those 12 legions of angels? What if he had done what his accusers had demanded of him when he was on the cross in mockery? If you be the Messiah, save yourself and come down for the cross. What if Jesus had done that? What if Jesus had spared himself the cross? What would that mean? Well, it would mean this. That if Jesus had refused the full payment required to redeem you and me, it meant that the love of God would have a limit. Understand that. We need to understand that. That if Jesus had not gone through this, 
then that meant that the love of God would have had a limit, would have had a limit, that God himself would have a limit and God and his love would not have been eternal. Love put Jesus on the cross. Love demonstrated to what lengths it was willing to go to save you and me. That's why the death of Jesus should never be lightly esteemed. Because God's love is eternal, demonstrated on what Jesus did on the cross. And that that love is eternally selfless. Jesus demonstrated God's unfailing love by being willing to endure the cross. He was willing to despise the shame. He went all the way to death. Jesus proved to every man what price God is willing to pay in order to purchase us, to buy us back in order for us to to be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. What he did for us, he wants to do for others. And this is the commission that you and I have. That through faith in his shed blood and preaching the blood of the Lord Jesus, releasing the grace of God so that sinners could follow that trail of blood all the way to eternal life. Father in heaven, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.